All right. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're continuing a new series, a nine-part series on the fruit of the Spirit based out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where the fruit of the Spirit are shown to be in contrast and conflict and combat with the works of the flesh, right? So the works of the flesh, all of those actions and attitudes that come out of the sinful nature in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, namely love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yes, we, would, we all want to memorize them. We got nine Sundays, and we got more than nine weeks because we got Easter in there. So we got lots of time to memorize those together, commit them to memory that you might meditate on them. Today, we're looking at joy as a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us today, that you would change our minds wherever necessary and change our hearts, and that you might make us a people that are characterized by the joy of the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's start with a question. Don't answer it out loud. Are you happy? There's a documentary crew running around, been running around for a few years all across America. They walk up to people and they ask, hey, can I ask you a quick question? It's for a documentary. And they say yes or no. If they say yes, they go, okay, are you happy? And it's a really interesting exercise to see people of every socioeconomic bracket, right, of every culture answer this question. And sometimes they say no, and they explain why, and sometimes they say yes, and they explain why. And I thought to myself, like, what would I say if somebody asked, are you happy, right? Because it really depends on what you mean, right? Am I, uh, am I chipper? Am I, like, am I positive Pete? Am I, do I have a sunny disposition? No, no, that's not me. That's, not, that's never been me. Like, I've all, I, listen, throughout most of my life, I would have said I'm a happy person, but that's not me. Right? When I was a little kid, uh, what did I watch? Sesame Street. You know who I liked? Oscar. Oscar the Grouch, because he's the best. I didn't care about all the other goofy characters and puppets, but Oscar the Grouch, he was a solitary man. He was dirty and, uh, and angry most of the time. I was like, oh, that's kind of, kind of vibe with his attitude. I like he was grouchy, complaining, you know. And then I would watch the Muppets, a six-year-old kid watching the Muppets and all these, all these, these characters and, uh, and everybody. And, you know, the animal was okay. Some of them were funny, but uh, you know who I liked? Statler and Waldorf, those two old guys that were up in the balcony always mocking and complaining and being just grumpy old men. Those were the people that I liked. I watched the Three Stooges growing up, right? Watched the reruns all the time, and all my friends liked Curly. Curly's the best. Curly's so funny. Uh Uh-uh. Mo. Mo's where it's at, because Mo is this angry, violent guy, you know? And I just kind of gravitated to those personalities because maybe they reflected something in me. And yet, even though I identified with those kind of characters, right, I still felt like a pretty happy guy. But it, it really does depend on what you mean by happy, because we know there's a difference between happy and happy. Or the way most Christians put it, we know there's a difference between happiness and joy, right? Yeah. There's a difference between happiness and joy. I'm here to say that's wrong. There is no difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, gladness, joy, it is 
all the same. They are virtually synonyms. Look it up. Happiness and joy, they are generally the same. To be merry is to be happy, is to be joyful. The difference is, the key is not to say, well, happiness is one thing and joy is another. When you look at the Hebrew words and the Greek words, they can all be translated almost interchangeably with each of these words. What we have to understand is that there are different kinds of happiness, or there are different kinds of joy. Whatever word you want to use, there are different kinds. And there are two fundamental kinds that matter, two fundamental kinds of joy or happiness. And this is what we're getting at when we as Christians talk about the difference between happiness and joy. The difference is between a worldly joy and a spiritual joy. Between a worldly joy, which is not always bad, though sometimes is, and a Christian joy, which has some overlap and similarities, but is fundamentally different. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a definition of Christian joy for you to hold on to, because that's going to be the thing that makes the sense of what we're doing here today. And then we're going to consider worldly joy, what it is, how it works, where it goes wrong. We're going to consider Christian joy. And then at the end, we'll consider very briefly the enemies of joy, okay? So here is the definition. What do we mean by Christian joy? Christian joy is a feeling of delight or contentment that is grounded in God and experienced by faith. Right? It is a feeling of, meaning it is a state of mind, heart, or soul, right? It is a sense of, an experience of delight and or contentment that is grounded in God and experienced by faith. That's the proper definition that we're working with. And that is different from worldly joy. So let's talk about worldly joy. Now, worldly joy, uh, you know, the joy that most people would understand, joy, happiness, gladness, it, it is essentially a, a feeling, right, of delight or contentment. It is the experience of delight or satisfaction in life for a particular time or moment. That's what it is. And if we're talking about worldly joy, it's helpful to think about it manifesting itself in two categories. So worldly joy, this is not spiritual or Christian joy, this is just worldly joy. There is corrupt joy, and there's common joy. Now, corrupt joy, what I mean by corrupt joy is this is a joy that delights in evil, right? So the joy is still joy. It's, it is real joy. There is delight and satisfaction, but they are delighting in something that is wicked, something that is inherently sinful, and we all do it. All of us do it. We all delight in something sinful. Anytime we choose sin, anytime we volitionally say, I'm going to disobey the Lord, right? We are delighting. We are taking satisfaction. We are finding contentment in some sinful practice or habit or thought. It is a joy that is corrupt. Corrupt joy rejoices in other people's pain. Now, look, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that's okay, right? I mean, it depends. Do they have it coming? That's how I think about it, right? Some of us are that way. I, when I see somebody suffering, my heart breaks, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't like this. When I see somebody getting something terrible, when they're experiencing something brutal, I'm like, oh, no, my heart breaks, and I want to defend them and help them, unless, unless they have it coming. And then I'm like, ooh, let's watch. Is there a video of this anywhere? I mean, we can kind of delight in it because we excuse it. We think it's okay because they're super bad. They did something terrible, and now they're going to get it. But this is a corrupt joy that is sinful. Just consider Proverbs chapter 24, 
Verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. There are no exceptions. Just because they're the bad guy, just because they've done something horrible doesn't mean we wish something horrible to happen to them. This is a corrupt joy that delights in evil or rejoices in others' pain. We can understand what this is. We can recognize it. That joy, no good. That's out. But then there is common joy, still a worldly kind of joy, but it's common. It is not evil. This is a joy, uh, a sense of delight or contentment or satisfaction that is grounded in circumstances that we find pleasant or easy or comfortable, right? These are the good days, the good times, and the good things in our lives. Common joy is not evil. It is dependent on worldly things. You can't have it apart from worldly things, whether that be a relationship or a hobby or your favorite food or whatever it is. It is, it is grounded in worldly things. It is dependent upon worldly things and circumstance. So this joy, it's not a joy that's, that's bad, but it, it isn't a joy that is fully developed either. It is shallow comparatively. It is incomplete from what the Lord intends us to have when we read about joy in the Bible, the joy of the Lord. And it's not only dependent upon circumstances, which it certainly is. You remove the circumstances, you remove the, the good thing, and the joy evaporates, right, with worldly joy. It's also dependent on mindset. And, and even the world knows this, right? The world understands uh, you can find a rich man who's miserable, but most of us find that's hard to believe, right? Because we always think like, well, if I... I would not be miserable if I had wealth. Because, but the, the problem is, is wealth is a constantly moving target, right? Whenever you hit an, the next level of wealth, you're like, well, that's not wealthy. It's, it's higher up, right? So, but we, we, we think, like, if I was wealthy, I'd be happy. But, but you know, you've seen people, you at least know of people that are wealthy. They have it all, and they're miserable. They have access to every earthly pleasure, and they aren't happy. So we, we know that there is an attitudinal component here, that, that it goes beyond the immediate circumstances, even with worldly joy, because you can be rich and miserable, or you can be poor and happy. Nevertheless, this common joy, grounded in circumstances and dependent on worldly things, isn't bad. It's just incomplete. It's all the joy the world has access to. It is temporal. It is fleeting. It cannot last because no worldly thing that is good lasts. Everything fades. But then there is Christian joy. Now, we've already said what Christian joy is. Christian joy is a feeling of delight or contentment that is grounded in God and experienced by faith. Now, there is similarity to worldly joy. There are some things that we have in common. For example, Christian joy does oftentimes connect to worldly things. By being a Christian, we find joy in the Lord and in the things that he gives us, right? Oftentimes, we find joy and satisfaction in our vocation, our calling, our work, things like that. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So absolutely, there is nothing wrong with delighting in the good things in your life. Those things should be enjoyed and embraced, yet it is different from worldly joy. And we're going to explain how in just a minute. 
So it does oftentimes connect to worldly things. And in a way, yes, our joy, Christian joy, is dependent also on a state of mind. Because we're saying that Christian joy is a delight or contentment that is grounded in God and experienced by faith. Right? So the way in which Christian joy is different from worldly joy is, number one, it is grounded in God. We, we, we read it right here in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Where does our joy come from? It comes from God. This Christian joy, this spiritual joy, this true joy, this abiding joy, this abundant joy, it is a gift that God gives. It's, this is why Paul, Philippians 4.4, 4, so many of you are familiar with this, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Rejoice where? How? In the Lord. This is where we find, this is how we tap in to this deeper and abiding sense of delight and contentment. And to be grounded in God, right, for our joy to be grounded in God means that our joy, this state of mind, this condition of the heart and soul, is grounded in his character and in his work. Not just in a vague concept of God, not just like this kind of generic sense of like, well, I believe that he's there. True spiritual joy is grounded in God, in his character and in his work. That he is holy, just, that he is good and patient and loving and forgiving and so much more. One of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalm 103, starting in verse Eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you need joy? Then you must know your God. You must have a developed and developing theology that is derived from Scripture and is a revelation of who he is and what he does. A generic concept of God does not sanctify the soul or strengthen the heart or grow our faith. Our joy is grounded in God, in his character and in his work. And because it's grounded in God, that means it is not dependent on worldly things. That means it is not dependent on our circumstances. Right? Because, you, listen, our circumstances change. You go from good days to bad days. It's all relative, right? You, you know, look at Job. He had so much, and then so much was taken away. Now, where do you find your joy? If, if our joy is not grounded in God, in his character, and in his work, then when those good things go away, in which we find our satisfaction, we have none left. But if we are grounded in God, there our joy does remain. It remains stable, which means, which means that joy is available in our darkest days and our most painful moments that there is actual joy that grows out of the ground of grief and sorrow and suffering. It's available there. 
not dependent on worldly things. The suffering doesn't take it away. Consider James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfectly and complete, lacking in nothing. When you face trials, that is afflictions, difficulties, when you feel weary and weak and beaten down, when you feel like you're suffocating or drowning, when life is rough, consider it joy, not because the trials themselves are so pleasant, but because God in whom our joy is found is with us, walking with us through the trial and will use our difficult days as a means by which he changes us, supports us, transforms us, and makes us into the people we are called to be. Or consider Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Christian joy is different from worldly joy because it is grounded in God. Therefore, it is not dependent on worldly things or our circumstances, which means it is available in suffering. By the way, it should, you should already be thinking this. I hope you're already thinking this. If Christian joy, the joy that you and I need, is grounded in God, his character, and his work, that means that we are absolutely dependent upon Scripture to access this joy. So you can say, like, well, my joy is not dependent upon my circumstances, but it is in a very real sense dependent upon Scripture. Because unless you understand the God who is revealed in Scripture, you do not have access to this truth that gives birth to joy. You need Scripture. And of course, you don't just need Scripture because you can memorize Scripture. The Pharisees were fluent in Scripture. The demons know the truths of God. Having the information is not enough. You need to receive the Scripture. You need to believe it. You need to maintain communion with God. Listen to Psalm 16. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. I don't know. Uh, when I think about joy and happiness and satisfaction or contentment, I think about it in, in part, right? Because, like, yeah, you can have joy and satisfaction in part. It's here. It's there, right? I can have a really satisfying meal, you know, and it's, it's pretty good, but it's just, it's just there. It's, just, it's contained there, right? I still got to go home and pick up dog poop in the backyard and stuff. I don't want to do that stuff. That's not joyful for me, right? But where do we find the, full, the absolute fullness of joy? The fullness, the fullest fullness, we find it in God's presence. Not just in God, not just abstractly, but in his presence, meaning we are living before his faith, submitting to his will, believing his promises, repenting of our sins, walking in his ways. In the presence of God, we can find true abiding joy, pleasure, satisfaction, contentment, delight, regardless of our circumstances. So, this Christian joy is different from worldly joy in that it is grounded in God, and secondly, it is experienced by faith. So if grounded in God is the more objective component, then experienced by faith is the more subjective experience, right? For example, we're told in Romans 12, 12, 
Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, right? Now, it's another way of saying rejoice in the Lord, right? But it's, 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 it's giving a very specific context, right? Rejoice in hope. Hope isn't wishing in the Bible like we hope. Hope it doesn't get too cold again. Oops, it's already here. Hope in the Bible is the assured anticipation of God's promises. That's what hope is. It's an assured anticipation of what God has said. He said, I will never, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's on lock. That's a promise. That's our hope. He forgives all our sins. He won't hold us against them. We know that we will never be separated from him. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We will be resurrected to a new life in the end, in paradise with God and his people forever. And all of the promises of scripture that we have, those are, that's our hope. We rejoice in hope and the promises of God, faith. Or we're back to Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in believing, in our faith in God, not just, not just in his person and in his character, but very specifically in his promises. Now, here's how it'll work. Here's how it actually works, because I like to kind of figure out, well, how does this, how does this work? And here's how I've been working it out in my own mind, that faith, faith is always able to identify God's grace and his gifts in our life. Faith identifies God's grace and his gifts, right? Because what is God's grace? It is his undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. It's undeserved blessing. It is his unearned love. God is kind and compassionate and generous with us, and he gives us what we do not deserve continues to give us more and more. He is gracious and kind. Faith identifies this, right? Because faith inherently recognizes, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy of God's love. Now, that doesn't make us self-haters. That doesn't make us miserable people that think we're not worthy of mutual love and respect among each other. It recognizes that before the face of God, I, am not wor- I, I, do not, I cannot earn his love because I have broken his law. I've gone my own way. I have forgotten him. And I can't, I can't earn his forgiveness because I can't make an atonement for my sins that covers my guilt. Faith recognizes that I am undeserving and that God is gracious, granting us undeserved love, kindness, and blessing. Faith identifies God's grace and it identifies God's gifts, right? Because his grace is manifested in the things that he gives to us, Right? Gifts, both spiritual and worldly. We have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. We have the imputation of Christ's righteousness by which you know, we are justified, the forgiveness of our sins. We have the, the, the Holy Spirit that not only seals us but, but indwells us. We have this promise of sanctification and growth. We have the promise of glory in the future. We have all of these things right, that God is giving us that, is, that are spiritual realities. But he also gives us worldly gifts, doesn't he? I mean, James, James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Every good thing that you experience should be seen and identified as a gift from God that we do not deserve. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. See, faith, faith responds 
to the gift, to the grace, it responds with gratitude, right? How do you receive? What happens when somebody gives you a great gift? Like it's a true gift. It's a great gift. What, what are you feeling in that moment? Well, you're feeling joy, right? You were like, I can't, your mind is blown. You smile, you know, but there also comes with it, there comes this humility and this recognition that like, I don't deserve this. This is a gift. If you understand it's a gift, you know, like, I don't deserve this. They're so kind. They're so generous. And so what happens is we have this humble response of thankfulness or gratitude, joy. It all comes together. Faith responds with gratitude. Christian joy is grounded in God, and it's experienced by faith, faith that identifies God's grace and his gifts. You guys are familiar with that um, guilt, grace, gratitude formula, right? The 17th century Puritans, uh, particularly in in America here, um, on this continent, they were... uh, they would organize their worship services according to the categories of guilt, grace, and gratitude. There was a progression to it, right? And so in the, in the, in the section of guilt, there would be readings of the law, the, the Ten Commandments. There would be a readings from the Old Testament um, exposing our guilt and our sin. And then there would be the section of grace, and that would be readings from the New Testament and the Gospels and the preaching of the Gospel and the lifting up of Jesus Christ as, as the only Savior for sinners. And then the last category was gratitude, wherein we respond to God's grace with gratitude, the foundation of Christian ethics, and we sing God's praises, and we obey his laws. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Our worship service follows that general format. And as I was thinking about this, it it became clear to me that joy works in a very similar way, because joy emerges out of the soil of grief. You see, I believe that the format for us for really experiencing joy is to experience grief and from that place identify God's grace and in response to that, we have gratitude which gives us joy. Uh, If you're asking, am I happy If you're looking for joy, it's probably because you're experiencing some level of grief or loss or hardship or suffering or affliction, discouragement. And grief is normal. It's common. You're going to experience it more or less from time to time. And the older you get, the more of it you will experience. It's just the nature of life. You will experience grief, pain, suffering, sin, guilt, And from that place, we see God's grace. We see God. We see his his loving kindness. We see his mercy. We see his grace in in Jesus Christ who takes away sin and guilt. We have all the promises of provision and even perfection in the future. We have it all in his grace. And then our response is, to seeing and receiving God's grace is gratitude, this spirit of thankfulness. That's how it works. And by the way, if, if faith has to be cultivated, and it does, 
You know this, right? I know faith is a gift from God, right? Faith is a gift from God. But in you and me as imperfect fallen people, our faith will never be perfect. It can be weaker. It can be stronger. It can be smaller. It can be greater. But it will always be in a process of growth. We have to cultivate our faith. It has to grow. And if our faith has to grow and be cultivated, so must our joy. Your joy has to be cultivated. A lot of us think like, oh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Okay. We try really hard to rejoice in the Lord. And we get like, we get a little beep, a little tiny little, little pop of joy maybe. And we're like, that's it. I was expecting the joy of the Lord, you know. I was expecting something great. And I'm experiencing it in smaller measure. Yeah, that's, that's how things work. We grow in God's graces we, we grow in these virtues. We grow in these spiritual blessings. Faith must be cultivated, and so must joy. This is the difference between worldly joy and Christian joy. Our joy is grounded in God. Therefore, it is not dependent on worldly things or circumstances. And it is experienced by faith, by identifying God's grace and his gifts, and it responds with gratitude. Now, the enemies of joy are real. They might not be what you think. Because there will constantly be a battle in our hearts over joy. We're made for it. We're made for joy. We're made for rejoicing. We're built for it. But sin and corruption gets in the way. Let me give you three enemies of joy to consider very briefly here. Number one is comparison. Comparison is an enemy of joy because you are at that point focusing on what you lack. All right, my car just got paid off. Feels good. Feels pretty good. Uh, steering wheel's not heated, though. I don't know. That's, it's fine. It's going to get warm. Then it's going to get hot. My seats are not air conditioned. I want seats. I'm a sweater, right? I get swampy. I would like some air conditioned seats. That would be nice. And if I think about what I don't have, I'm not thinking about all that I do have. I can't give thanks, which means I can't have joy. You guys know the comparison is the thief of joy and contentment and satisfaction. You know it. Because you begin to focus on what you lack instead of everything that God has given you. You are no longer identifying God's grace and his gifts. Instead, you are identifying your own lusts and greed. Number two is doubt. Doubt is an enemy of joy. When we doubt, we are forgetting God. We are losing sight of God and his grace. And listen, everybody doubts. Every, every Christian has doubts at various times and to varying degrees, but it happens. And I don't trust any Christian who says, uh, especially if they've been walking with Jesus for a while, like, I've never had any doubts about any of it. Like, well, I don't think you're thinking very much about the faith then. Because every serious saint that I've ever known who has years and years on me, the godly men and women that I look up to and, and go to for wisdom, they've all said, oh, yeah, I've had doubts for sure. And I've certainly had doubts. Now, here's what happens. When we're doubting, right, we're beginning to lose sight. We somehow, we're, we're beginning to lose sight for a variety of reasons. We don't have time to go into but a variety of reasons we begin to lose sight of God and his grace. Now, here's what happens. Here's what's happened in my life. When I am doubting God and I go back to God's word and I open it up and I begin to read it, I am again persuaded. I am again convinced. My mind is changed by the Holy Spirit and the word. So my doubt gives way to faith. 
I in turn begin to doubt my doubt as I read the scripture. But if I don't go to the word of God and I just continue in my doubt, it all just goes further and further out of sight and there is no joy to be had because joy is found in identifying God, his grace and his gifts. Number three, another, a third, and there are others, but we don't have time. A third enemy of joy is fear. And fear isn't always a bad thing, but, you know, fear, sometimes we fear things that are real. We should be afraid. Things are dangerous, different kinds of fear. But, but fear can be an enemy of joy because in those moments, we are losing sight of or forgetting God's promises, right? We're afraid. Like, oh, wow, this is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. And guess what? It is. It's not going to be a good time. Sometimes you can have a fearful understanding of what's coming. But the joy comes not from the avoidance of the pain, but from the appropriation of God's promises, that he will be with us, that he will strengthen us, that he will give us the aid that we need to persevere and not lose hope and not lose heart, not lose our faith, to not be destroyed. Even as Paul said, we're being put to death all the day long. We're being slaughtered, and yet we are more than conquerors. That's only possible because he has not lost sight of God's promises, which means he can rejoice in suffering. And let me just say this, since we're talking about enemies of joy. You know what the enemy of joy is not? The enemy of joy is not pain and suffering. See, that's what worldly joy says. Worldly joy says pain and suffering. Well, that's the enemy of joy. But Christian joy says, no, no. Pain and suffering and affliction is not the enemy of joy. It is the assistant of joy. God uses it. God uses it to cultivate within us a joy that is grounded in him and not in our circumstances. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There are enemies to be combated. Pain is not one of them. Not as it relates to our joy. Christian joy is that feeling of delight or contentment that is grounded in God and experienced by faith. So, ask yourself, am I happy? Not am I comfortable. Not is it easy or is it hard. Not am I hurting. Those are all fair questions and realities for us to deal with. Do I have a spiritual, a Christian kind of joy in my life? And if you say I don't, or I don't know, then consider your grief, the pain, the suffering, the sin, and the guilt. Maybe you lack joy because you have been continuing and persisting in your own sin and rebellion. I know what that's like. I've done that. You've done that. Maybe you're there. 
Maybe you're not a Christian and you've been persisting in your sin and you're feeling the weight of that sin and God is beginning to bring an awareness to you that you are guilty before him and deserving of wrath, that you are at odds with God. And so, no, you wouldn't have joy, right? Not the kind of joy we're talking about. But whether you are suffering physical affliction or circumstantial difficulty and darkness or you're wrestling with sin and guilt, consider your grief and then look upon God, his grace and his gifts, the provision that he offers us and ultimately look to Jesus Christ in whom all of God's grace and gifts are ultimately found. In 1 Peter, it's the last passage we'll read, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Consider God's grace and lay hold of it by faith. Believe. And if your faith is weak, it still works, right? With our feeble faith, we can still lay hold of those promises. We believe, and the moment you do, you will have this growing sense of thankfulness, a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude, and that gratitude is the secret of joy. Gratitude. All this to get to here. (laughs) Gratitude is the secret to joy. If you are grateful to God for his grace and his gifts, you can have joy in any and every circumstance. It begins when we come to him believing in Christ as our Lord and Savior. For the very first time, that's where it truly begins. And ask any Christian who's been following Jesus for some time, they'll tell you that that joy is always accessible. We sometimes lose our grip on it, but it's always there. Let's seek it together as we follow Christ. Father in heaven, we pray that you would truly teach us what we need to learn, that you would change our minds and our hearts. God, we pray that you would help us to see the the gifts that you offer us spiritual and worldly, in the midst of our grief that we might be filled with gratitude and experience the joy of salvation, what we call the joy of the Lord. We pray that that we would find strength in a Christian and a spiritual kind of joy, happiness, and gladness that gives all praise to you. In Christ's name, amen.